Good evening, folks, and welcome back once again to our live broadcast here at Newark United Pentecostal Church. And we are excited this Wednesday night to be bringing you our live Bible study. And so tonight, as they get ready to come off of mute, we have with us Pastor Stephen, who's going to be continuing this week's theme as we've talked about our barbecue this week as we look at different sacred cows, if you'll allow that metaphor. And so before he begins, just a quick reminder to all of you who are joining us, if you are not regularly doing so, I encourage you to check out our website at newarkupc.info. On that website, you can find all kinds of great information about how to submit prayer requests. You can submit a baptism request. You can join one of our small groups. Every week, we have 11 different small groups that are meeting online during this COVID-19 pandemic. And while we cannot meet in person, we are able to gather together digitally. And we do it each week. And likewise, every night, Tuesday through Sunday, we have a broadcast at 7 p.m. And so now, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Stephen, and he's going to take it away and do our Wednesday night Bible study. Thank you, Desi. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm excited to be with you. Thank you for the honor and the privilege of spending some time with you. Uh, as we said when we met back on our physical campus, time is your most valuable commodity. Even though none of us know exactly when we are going to run out of time, it is, according to the scriptures, appointed unto us a day. We have a calendar date when death will come. And so uh, time is your most limited commodity, believe it or not. Money, you can make it and lose it and make it again. But time is your most limited commodity. So thank you for spending some of it with us tonight. It is my honor and my privilege to be with you. So this week we've been looking at, in kind of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek of metaphor, we've been looking at having a barbecue of our sacred cows. And uh, what this is, is it's kind of a, an American colloquialism. Uh, if any of you are international, let me explain it to you very succinctly. It is uh, an idea or a custom or a practice or, or a belief that is held unreasonably and uh, we hold it as sacred. You're not allowed to, to do anything with it because it's a sacred cow. In the context in which we're talking this week, a sacred cow is actually not something that is just held unreasonably, but rather I would put a twist to it, it is held unbiblically. So any belief, idea, custom uh, that we hold that is not biblically founded, well, that's a sacred cow. Now, many of you would say, well, we're Bible-believing Christians. How could we possibly do that? Well, I've got news for you. As human beings with flaws and the broken state of sin, it's very easy to do it, even from the Bible. And so this week, we've been looking at a few various areas in which there have been some misunderstandings, if you will, um, and misappropriation uh, of Scripture, misinterpretation of Scripture, and it's an unreasonably held belief. In other words, it's not borne out in Scripture. And so Meg did a great job the first uh, let's see, was she the first night? Yes, she was. She was the first night. We all enjoyed Kale's uh, commentary on the video alongside of it, but the the looking at who's anointed. And so there's this concept and this idea that there are particular people that are, well, they are anointed, and then everybody else, well, we can pray to God, but, but the anointing's not the same. And she laid out for us that that's not, we can't hold on to that reasonably when it comes to the scriptures. It's a sacred cow. And so we, we threw that one on the barbecue. And uh, then the next night we, we looked at and, and paid attention to titles. And uh, while 
knowing our roles and our functions and various things like this uh, are appropriate. It's all right to understand that. The grasping on to titles of honorifics, well, that's a sacred cow. The idea that because I'm pastor, you need to be calling me some kind of honorific title is actually not biblically sound. It's actually Jesus speaks against it. And uh, so we, Regina, laid that out for you. And, and so we slapped that one up on the barbecue. I hope you felt it sizzle a little bit and maybe you understand a little bit more what goes on behind your pastor's idea of uh, trying to sneak by visitors without them knowing who I am. And um, the staff pastoral team gets mad at me because I'll do it to anybody. I even did it to one missionary who came in and was looking for a particular, I don't know what he was looking for, but he was looking for something. And he didn't think I was the pastor. So I let him think that for about 30 minutes. That was rather amusing to me. Um, Got to be careful because you need to treat everyone the same. Um, and so we, we threw that one on there. And then Sister Debbie dealt with last night self-determination. This idea, this is kind of the intersection of American culture and the imposition of it upon the scriptures. The idea that my body's mine, my freedoms are mine. Uh, it's, it's, I, I often think of uh, those pigeons, and I forget what show it's from, but mine, 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 you know, this kind of concept. And um, the Bible doesn't bear that out. In fact, uh, the Bible calls us to self-denial. Uh, it calls Those us would to... be seagulls from Finding Nemo. There Just it is. for it's all of you finding... parents who Thank you. have little Thank ones. You. Yes, all it's the seagulls. It's from Finding from... Nemo. Thank you. That's the one. I knew it. It's just it's mine, 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 mine. And it, that's what comes to my mind when it comes to self-determination. And yes, that is a part of being American. And it's a part of being American that is distinctly in at the very least, tension, I would say absolute contradiction, with Scripture. So again, sacred cow, feel the sizzle. Now, if you've been confused as I have been about the sacred cow versus the sacred chicken versus the sacred monkey versus the sacred bear, I think the point is, is no matter what is sacred, if it's not biblical, it's prime for the barbecue. And so tonight I'm going to tackle another subject that in one way kind of pulls with the exception of Sister Debbie's topic on self-determination. And I won't tell you what tomorrow night's is with Brother Arash, but it pulls the three, Saturday night, Sunday night, and Brother Arash's actually together. I believe they all three emanate out of what I'm dealing with tonight. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about the concept as it's applied to the church and as it's applied to the family of the priesthood, the priesthood. You may have heard this talked about, and it's usually applied. In fact, it's almost exclusively applied to males. And by the way, I will tell you that while women are susceptible to titles and honorifics and that kind of thing, in my experience, men can be particularly susceptible to their need to have their egos massaged. Yes, I said it, and I are one, so... Part of the problem with the priesthood concept that I'm going to unpack tonight within the scriptures is, as Regina dealt with it Sunday night, we've got a pride factor going on here. But let's go to the Bible first. And uh, so let me pop up my screen here. And uh, for those of you that uh, have been following along over the last few weeks, we've been trying to get you to use a resource. It's Bible.org. And if you go there 
and you pop down there that net bible that's a great resource right there that i want you to learn how to use and i've already got it opened up and ready so on the left panel you'll have the scripture over here copious notes lots of notes and you can do searches and different things like that so let's start with numbers and so i've got these kind of laid out here numbers chapter three and uh, i want to look at numbers chapter three verses 11 through 13. and so then the lord spoke to moses look i myself have taken the levites from among the israelites instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the israelites so the levites belong to me because all the firstborn are mine when i destroyed all the firstborn in the land of egypt i set apart for myself all the firstborn in israel both man and beast they belong to me i am the lord so what you have here folks is you have in the old testament as god has delivered israel out of egypt he communicates to them that the firstborn of everything is his. And so when it comes to all of the animals, when it comes to all of the, the crops, when it comes to the, all of their, their wealth, which is primarily agrarian, he says, I want the first, whether it be the first cow, whether it be the first sheep, whether it be the first chicken, uh, uh, so there's no sacred chickens either, whether it be the first uh the first fruits of the fields, they are the Lord's. And on all the other things except for humans, they were to be sacrificed. But these verses here says, God says, I don't want a human sacrifice. So instead, I'm going to take from among the children of Israel, I'm going to take one of the tribes, and they are going to stand in the place of the firstborn children. The Levites are mine. The Levites are mine. Now, why do I talk about the Levites? For those of you that may not be familiar, you're like, okay, Levites, what's that? The Levites are the priests. It is from the tribe of Levi that the high priest comes and his family, but it is from the Levites that all of the various functions of the tabernacle, all of the various functions of the priesthood, they are all priests. And so the first thing that I want you to notice about priesthood is priesthood is not about elevation and power. It is actually about servanthood and ownership. The priests are owned by God. God says, they are my part. They are mine. And as such, they will serve the people on my behalf. They will be the go-betweens. They will be the ones who interact between me and my sanctuary that dwells in the midst of the people. They will be the ones. And from them will come the high priest. And the high priest will be the only one on certain set days that can enter into my very Shekinah presence, hidden behind the veil. So the first thing is, is this is the concept of priesthood. This is the biblical concept of priesthood. And it is a substitution for the firstborn that is God's. God owns. He says, I have made them mine. They belong to me. And so it's really important for you to understand and hold on to this concept of belonging. So when it comes to priesthood, priesthood is about belonging to the Lord. It is about him setting you apart. So when you were a part of the priesthood, if you were a Levite, whether a part of the high priest family or whether you were simply, sorry about that, I 
went and bumped my keyboard there. Um, so whether a part of the high priest or whether just a part of the larger Levitical priesthood, you belonged to the Lord. Now, I don't know how you look at priests. I don't know how you consider it, but that is the meaning biblically. Priests belong to God. Priests did what God wanted them to do. Priests stood in a place between God and the people. All right. So that lays out, first of all, the concept of priesthood. So we've got that in Numbers chapter 3. Now, where I want to go next is I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, specifically we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. And uh, Paul is dealing with a, a Corinthian church that's being immoral. And so he's dealing with this, and he says, flee sexual immorality. And the Corinthians seem to have quoted back to Paul, every sin a person commits is outside of the body, so it doesn't matter. But Paul replies and says, but the immoral person sins against his own body. And so in the context of this immorality, in the context of this discussion about whether you can have sex with a prostitute, specifically, if you look at the preceding verses, Paul says, do you not know? Now remember, this is written to Corinthians who are Christians. These are people that have repented of their sins. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, the same imagery of the priest with the sanctuary, the tabernacle, that later became a temple in Jerusalem as Solomon built his father David's plans. Paul uses this same language, and he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So the first thing I want you to recognize is that the definition of priesthood from Numbers states that they are those who are gods. God owns them. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to us, do you not understand that as a Christian, Every single one of you is a temple unto God in which the Spirit of God dwells, and you're not your own. You've been purchased. You've been redeemed at Calvary, by the way. You're not your own. So here is the first thing that I want you to recognize is that while there were a select few that were gods in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, everybody's gods. Everybody's been bought with a price. Everybody has been set apart unto him. And in case you, you think I'm making that up off of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let me fast forward a little bit here and take you down to 1 Peter chapter 2. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look specifically at verses 9 through 10. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And so Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. You used to not have a place. You used to not have ownership. You used to not be called out, but now as Christians, and by the way, the letter that Peter wrote here is written to Christians. 
you've been called out. You have been made God's people. God owns you. And so I don't know if you noticed in my notes here, it's a little small, but every believer is a part of the priesthood, which is God's people now. There's no longer just a few, one tribe that God has set aside and said, this is my portion. This is what will make the substitute for that firstborn that is owed by each family. No, all of us are now, as believers, a part of the royal priesthood. We have been made set apart. We have been made holy unto God. We are, as Paul said, bought with a price. We're now the temple of God. Collectively, we are the body of Christ. We are where the Spirit of God dwells. So the concept that there are certain ones who stand as priests of something is patently unbiblical. Yes, my fellow compatriots have been very kind and very nice as they have gently laid their cows upon the barbecue this week. In typical fashion, I am not so um, so delicate. I hope you all heard the sizzle as I slapped that down upon the grill. I had the fire going. It's already turning to charcoal. Nobody stands as an intermediary between us and God. Now, one of you that knows your Bible should be raising their hand going, wait a minute. The Bible says that Christ stands as an intermediary between us and God. You're right. But who is Christ? None other than God himself in the flesh. So please understand, there are no longer any human beings who stand as intermediaries. No husband stands as an intermediary between his wife or his children and God. No pastor stands as an intermediary between his congregation or her congregation and God. This is a sacred cow. It's based in pride. It's based also in history, which hopefully I'll have enough time to get to, but I need to keep moving along here in order to talk about that. It's not based in scripture. The Levitical priesthood, which is our first model of multiple people who are priests and of an intermediary between humanity and God, was about God saying, I don't want to take and sacrifice your firstborn children. So I'm going to take a tribe to myself. They are going to be mine. I'm going to own them. I'm going to provide for them, and they will serve me, and they will serve the people on my behalf. In the New Testament, this is not preserved. The preacher is not a priest. Sorry, it's not biblical. Because the scriptures say that we are all priests, because it's all about ownership. It's all about who we belong to. It's all about the fact that Jesus died upon the cross, and when he died for us, he bought us with that price, and therefore our bodies become a part of the body of Christ. Our individual bodies are called temples in which the Spirit of God dwells. We are unified into this one body, into this one temple by this one Spirit, and we all are a part of being a chosen or called out race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that have been set apart unto God. This is about whether you have been set apart by salvation or whether you are still mired in your sins. There's no more intermediary between you who know God and the God that you serve. Husbands, 
you don't have that kind of authority over your family. Pastors, you don't have that kind of authority over your church. You just don't have it. It's not biblical. Peter, in another passage, makes very clear, this is my job description. He says, what's your job to do as an elder in a church is not to act as a priest. He says, no, you're supposed to feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking oversight. See, that's about responsibility, as Regina talked about on Sunday night. It's about responsibility. We can all have different roles or different responsibilities within the body, but none of that has to do with whether we are all equal at the foot of the cross. All of us stand equal before the cross. Feed the flock of God which is among you, he says, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but rather being examples to the flock. You see, priesthood is language of superiority. Now, it shouldn't have been. I read to you in numbers, it was actually language of servanthood. But over time and over history, it became language of superiority. It became, we are a part and you are not. It became distancing. There were places within the gathering, the worship, the church that you couldn't go, only the priest could go. There were functions that you could not do, only the priest could do. In fact, one of the biggest arguments that happened through history was about the translation of the Bible. And there was the argument made for hundreds of years is that the priest had to read the Bible to you and tell you what it meant. You could not read it for yourself. You could not have access to it. And there are still within certain traditions of Christianity functions that are only for the priest. By the way, those of you that remember last week, we talked about who can baptize. That's the problem. We've got baptism wrapped up in this as well. It's about power, folks. It's about control. Now, what's so aggravating, anybody that's watching or listening to this, either live or later, you're going to get aggravated at me because I'm giving away the store. You see, I'm at the pinnacle of the power. I'm a pastor. Not only am I a pastor, I, by hook or crook, become the pastor above other pastors. And so here I am. I'm at the pinnacle. It doesn't get much higher than me. And I'm looking at you and saying, no, I don't have any more access to God than you do. To my peers who might be aggravated by this, go study your Bible. I'm sorry. I'm going to be harsh here. Go study your Bible. Lay your pride down and go study your Bible. There is no longer an intermediary between God and humanity. The only intermediary is God himself who became a human. But he's perfect and sinless and without fault. Unlike myself, I'm full of pride. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just face it. We all are. I like to have my way. If you don't believe me, Ask anybody that works closely with me. I am a very opinionated fella. I am forceful in my opinions. I like to have my way. And this is precisely why God does not want me operating as an intermediary between you and your God. It's enough that I preach under his anointing, his word. It's enough that I'm held then accountable for what I preach to that word that is settled forever in heaven. That's as far as it goes. I am not a priest. 
And the idea that I'm a priest, that I could cut my wife off from God, that I could be the one who is in between my children and God, this is a sacred cow. Throw it on the barbecue and let it sizzle. Don't even cook it and then chew on it. Burn it to a crisp. It's ungodly. It's not right. My personal opinion is it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember what I said. Men are the main ones that do it. I'm not saying women don't either. Scripture says when sin came in, women would want to have their way. And men would respond to that with dominance. Well, we've done a pretty good job of doing that. And it's ungodly. We've done a good job at dominating. And it's not pleasing to God. Jesus said it this way. Whoever would be greatest must be servant. He would be first must be last. If you want to be my disciple, he says, you must deny yourself and take up a cross and follow me. He, who, as I'm going to turn to in just a moment here, who was a priest, who is the last priest, humbled himself, took upon him the form of a servant as he became a human being. And he died on the cross to serve us. He's the last priest. All right. I'm going to get in trouble, but let me move quickly here. So let me take it to two passages real quick. So Hebrews chapter four, we know Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. It's a great, it's a great verse for though, excuse me, I'm on the wrong passage. I want Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. There we go. It keeps popping down. So here we go. Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two, there's my King James coming out, than any double-edged sword piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow, it is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render account. Because of this, the reason I read all that to you is because of this, verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently, because we have this high priest, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. Do you notice we can approach the throne of grace directly? In other words, even the high priest, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, did not create a barrier, but in fact broke down the barrier. Chapter 5, he proceeds on, and I want to take us down through chapter 5, verse 10. For every high priest is taken from among the people and appointed to represent them before God, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal compassionately with those who are ignorant and erring, since he also is subject to weakness. And for this reason, he is obligated to make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. And no one assumes this honor on his own initiative, but only when called to it by God, as in fact Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming high priest, but the one who glorified him was God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have fathered you. As also in another place, God says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his devotion. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And by being perfected in this way, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he was designated by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is an interesting permutation, and I must hurry because I'm at 730. And even though I made the rules that the first teaching is 30 minutes, I'm going to break them slightly. So, Desi, don't smack my hand too hard. I am hurrying. Order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a whole Bible study here, and so I'm telling you, I'm, you're giving the shorthand here. The first place a priest ever shows up in the Bible is Melchizedek. And I'm going to show it to you so you know the reference. But Numbers chapter, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed Abraham, and then you can read on about that. So what's going on here? What is happening with this Melchizedek? Well, I don't have time tonight to go through it, but if you read in the other passages of Hebrews, you'll find that Melchizedek is described as one who has neither father nor mother, who has no beginning and has no ending. The only being I know that has no father or mother and has no beginning or no ending is God. And Jesus Christ is designated in chapter 5 as being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, not the high priest in the order of Aaron and the Levites, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is why the relationship with God is so different through Jesus Christ than it is through humans. Aaron's priesthood created barriers. It was necessary because if the people had entered into the presence of God, they would have been destroyed. In fact, notice two passages very quickly. Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. What does it say? So you are to appoint Aaron and his sons, and they will be responsible for their priesthood. But the unauthorized person who comes near must be put to death. This is reiterated again in Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. What does it say? Sorry, I didn't click the right button there. Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. But those who were to camp in front of the tabernacle on the east, in front of the tent of the meeting, were Moses and Aaron and his sons. They were responsible for the needs of the sanctuary and for the needs of the Israelites. But the unauthorized person who approached was to be put to death. See, this is why I tell you, church, that priesthood language is about power, it's about authority, and it's about barriers. Aaron's priesthood created necessary barriers so that Israel was not destroyed by the holy presence of God. Only the priests could enter the sanctuary. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. And if anyone that was unauthorized did either one of those, they would be killed. Not Jesus. Jesus came to break down the barriers. He came to give us another chance. Hebrews chapter 10, and here's my last scripture for you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to draw it to a close there. I had more to read to you, but that right there. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary, the sanctuary that used to be barricaded off and only the Levites, the priesthood could go in. Now we, because of our high priest, the last high priest, in my opinion, he was also the first high priest. Melchizedek was nothing but a theophany, a manifestation of God himself in human form. 
Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, has broken down the barriers. What happened when he died? The veil was rent from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies is now exposed. God doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands anymore. He dwells in you. There is no human being who stands between you and God. And anyone who claims that that is biblical, I challenge them. Deal with the scriptures I've just placed before you. It's a sacred cow. Does it mean that you should treat me as a pastor with disrespect? I would hope not because I play a certain role. I have a certain function. It doesn't do you well if I give account for what I've preached and taught to you that you make it hard for me. Hebrews, the same writer of Hebrews says, it doesn't make any sense for you to make it hard on this person if they're going to give account for you. But the idea that I'm a priest? No, sorry, it's not biblical. It's a sacred cow or monkey or chicken or bear or whatever else is coming from the creative mind of Pastor Rachel. Bottom line, sacred cows deserve to be killed and removed. And in our context, a sacred cow is any belief, idea, or concept, or custom that is not biblically founded. The idea that one person stands in the role of a priesthood and stands over or between an individual and God is unbiblical. Even those trusted with the gospel who are, according to Paul, to be given double honor, even they are subject to the mandate of Jesus who said, you want to be greatest? You need to be the servant. You want to be first? You got to be last. You need to follow my model, the model of the great high priest who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, of the cross. So when we talk about priesthood, there is no biblical basis for any human being to stand in the place of priesthood, not once we recognize that priesthood was about ownership and we are now all bought with a price. We now all are his temple. We now are members equally in the body of Christ. All right, Desi, I went seven minutes, I think, over. If they don't have questions now, I don't, maybe I did a too good a job. I think you did great. And you only went about five minutes over. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and show myself once again. And Sister Joyce is on the call with us hiding in the background, but she is monitoring the chat. And so if you come have out, questions Sister tonight, Joyce, come out, come out and play with us. <laughs> So if you have questions, I'm here. Oh, there, we there go. she is. She <laughs> came there out. She I got is. her out. So if you have questions, she is monitoring the chat. If you would like to make any comments or you want to pose any questions for Pastor Stephen, now's the time to do it. Uh, as you were doing this tonight, it made me think I have heard throughout my lifetime in different contexts, not just in one place, um, this idea really talking more about marriage and about between a husband and wife and this idea of, you know, the priest of the home. So I'm going to throw you one to start with where one, where do you think you, that comes from? And, and two, does that align with the scripture? The idea that the husband is the priest of the home. 
Well, first of all, I, I in very quick passing, and Desi wants to draw an underline under it, and I'm happy to do so, uh, that no, it yes. does not align with the scripture at all. Where does it come from? Well, I, let, let's, we'll put the, the bad motivation and we'll put the positive motivation. The positive motivation is the idea of somebody standing in the gap, somebody uh, yeah. being the intermediary, somebody protecting and all of these the kinds of things. responsible party. Exactly. And so I will grant that there could be a right motivation, but it's unbiblical. And here's the crazy part. Sin is so devious that what's actually wormed inside of that is the perniciousness of Genesis chapter three and domination, because it's always, I've never heard that concept ever applied that the woman stands as the priest of her home, even when the husband is not saved, never is it applied to the woman. And as soon as you have something applied to one gender and not to the other, red flag, red flag, red flag, that looks like dominance to me. And yeah. by the way, ladies and gentlemen, let me just be crystal clear. If it were not unbiblical, I would be all for dominance. I am a dominant personality. I think the world should do exactly what I tell them to do. I am so opinionated and I am confident in my smarts. But guess what? It's not biblical. Doesn't really. And when it's not it. biblical, you can't do it. It's a sacred cow. Fry it up. It's done. Get rid of it. Even if I think it or it would be convenient to me. Right. So, you know, Desi's a nice guy. Joyce is a nice lady. They are very kind and meek and they don't want to run the world. <laughs> they want to be nice to people. Me? No, I want to run the world. But it's not biblical. It's a sin problem. It's a dominance problem. And it comes out of Genesis chapter three. So I think that some people have had right motivations and have been taught certain things and sure. done it out of right motivation. I don't think everybody's going around saying, I get to dominate the world. But at its core, I still think it's there. It's, it's misguided. It is. It absolutely is. Of this principle. It is. Yeah. Do uh, Now, as parents, let me let me jump in and say, you need to raise your children in godly homes and you need to teach them the scriptures and you need to model prayer for them. And you need to be a Christian example. And when they see you do well and when they see you fail, they need to see you apologize to your spouse and make it right. And they need to see you pray and all kinds of other things. But this idea that, you know, the husband is the, the priest of the home and the spiritual leader of the house and that it all rests on the husband. We just you don't see that in the New Testament. In fact, if I can put it this way, Stephen, as a general rule, anytime someone wants to use priestly language to describe ministry in Christianity, um, to me, that gives me pause and concern because you're, you're pulling, you're pulling symbolism, you're pulling a motif, you're pulling something out of the Old Testament. Instead, I was waiting for this. If you said it, I missed it. What is the image we see a pastor described as in the New Testament? We don't see a pastor described as a priest. We see a pastor described as a well, it came out of my job description in in uh, Peter. It says a yeah. shepherd. It says one who shepherd. who guides. And in that place, there are responsibilities mm -hmm. and that oversight. Oh, so it's, it's not that there aren't authority and there's not responsibilities, but it is not in a place of right. dominance right. and it's not in a place of control. Peter or as an intermediary. That's right. It's in right. a place of example. And pastors are described as priests, shepherds, not that's right. priests. The language of a priest, I do not think, serves the family or the church well at all. As Paul would put it, it was a schoolmaster. It was an intermediary step that God Something needed to create barriers. Bring us to Christ. 
to bring us to Christ. And even the example of Christ, he's a priest not like Aaron's priesthood. Yeah. And it's so a priest and king. It's a completely different model. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, Sister Joyce, as you're monitoring that chat, do you see any questions that have been posted yet? Something you'd like to pass along to us? Yes, we have a few. So the first okay. one is from Sister Regina. So what sets the pastor apart from other people in the congregation? What makes that role different from a regular saint from the biblical perspective? Okay. Let me answer that a little bit more, even generically. Any role that distinguishes a person, whatever that means, mm -hmm. has to do with responsibility. Yes. It has nothing to do with value. It has nothing to do with um, importance. It has to do with a responsibility. And I would argue that the authority that we so crave from being set apart, whether by a title or by authority, that authority that we crave is always, God understands our brokenness, is always limited to our responsibility. And where we get into trouble is when we pull to ourselves authority that is not ours, when we take it beyond what our responsibility is. So a pastor has been called very clearly, the Bible lays out, and there's different words that are used. There's episcopos, which refers to bishop. That has a whole lot of baggage with it. Presbyteros. Yeah. Presbyteros, elder. which is elder. Uh, and then you have a, a have from the Old Testament and the New Testament, they, just only a couple of times these words that, that speak to shepherd or, or one who guides or cares for. Um, all of these words are trying to get at, and they're at various ways of structure and responsibility, but all of them are getting to a guidance, if you will, a responsibility in the word, a responsibility to the community for the word, for the, the, the way that the community is interacting with one another. Over Oversight. Of Correct. The community. And, and the authority mm -hmm. stops where the responsibility stops. So the idea that I somehow have the ability to stop you from getting into heaven or not, um, with all due respect to my dear brothers and sisters who are Catholic, that's a different theology than what I hold. That's, I cannot excommunicate you. I cannot cut you off from God. That's something that develops later in church history it it's not something it that we see demonstrated in the new testament scriptures it's not biblical it it's it mm -hmm. comes afterwards and even the language of priesthood that shows up later within the christian church is a re-pulling forward out of the old testament yeah. but it does yeah. not show up in the first and second century it's not how they're dealt. it's not how the, the church is dealt with and talked we, about we don't see church leadership in the New Testament, and even within the first 100 to 200 years of Christianity, referred to as priests. That's that right. language develops later in the Christian. Correct. In fact, probably context. the more common word, the most common word would be elder. Yeah, which is even more generic than shepherd or Absolutely. overseer. Just, That's right. And often, and this is a different Bible study for another time, often plural, elders. That's correct. When Paul said goodbye to the church, at, oversight. that's right. When Paul said goodbye to the church at Ephesus, he met them at a port city. You can read it in Acts. I can't remember which chapter, but research it. He's leaving. He's, and he says, I'm not going to see you anymore. You'll find the scriptures say he met with the elders of Ephesus, not yes, the elder, plural. 
plural. That's part of why in Newark, we are we are shifting gears. We haven't done anything wrong in the past, but our model, we're shifting gears. You have multiple elders. That's why I can take this sabbatical that's coming up in this next little while. I'm able to do that because I am not the only elder. This church is well cared for because there are multiple elders. It's more true to the biblical text of how they did church in the first and second century, which is a part of our Pentecostal theology, which is we're trying to be true to the book of Acts church. All right, I've prattled on. Joyce, you got another question for me. So Sister Regina said you touched on it, but can you elaborate more on what Hebrews 13, 17 looks like when applied scripturally? So obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do with joy and not with sorrows. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Yes. So first of all, um, Sister Joyce, what kind of toothpaste do you use at home? Uh, Colgate, I think. <laughs> uh, that's not acceptable. I order you to use Crest. Do you need to obey me? No. That's correct. Do it with a little more confidence now. Come on. I have a little <laughs> bit more confidence. No, you do not. Why? Because me exercising authority in that area goes beyond my responsibility. Now, I picked a ludicrous, stupid example, okay, toothbrush, okay. But my point is, is that that's where the problem lies. And I think part of the problem is, is as pastors have become more male-dominated, here I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble. Maybe I'm going to end up on the barbecue tonight. Um, Good good luck. (laughs) You're going to kick the pail. Go ahead. Oh, here we go. Because here's the problem. Women want their way. There's no question about that. He describes that in Genesis chapter three. All humans want their way because every every human thinks they're right in their own eyes. But this dominance problem is a male problem. So if you get leadership that's all male, you shouldn't be surprised that it gets more and more and more and more authoritarian. You get people like me who like power. We might even be egalitarian in the sense that we care for people. I care deeply for people. I just think I'm right all the time. And you should be in charge. Yes makes perfect sense. But when you get a bunch of that together, oh, that goes ungodly real fast. We start accruing powers to ourselves. We start pulling things to ourselves. And, and, and we might even initially do it for the right reason, but we're still stepping beyond our responsibility. Now, I picked the absurd to make the point. There are areas of your life yeah. that if I start issuing orders about that, you have no obligation to obey me. You're not in trouble with God. But if I can teach and preach from the word, and I'm accountable to that word for the benefit of your life, then you really, in many senses, are not obeying me, but you're obeying the word of God that God is using me to bring to you or, or someone else. And, and that's and the sense can... in which obedience should be given because it is because the role of the pastor is to oversight, to look out for, as Hebrews refers to, and as Peter refers to. But that look out doesn't extend to some of the places that we pastors have extended it to. I'm sorry, guys, I'm giving away the store. I understand. And it's really hard to deal with me because I are one. I sit at the, that's why I said it. It sounded arrogant, but I'm still going to say it. I sit at the pinnacle. I'm at the highest order of the church, so to speak. Organizationally, there are those who are above, have an organizational authority place. But as far as an actual, the body of Christ, I sit at the pinnacle. We're pulling too much power to ourselves. God's not talking to us about all the stuff we think he's talking to us about. 
You know why I know that? Because it's not in his word. Well, I got it in prayer. You better hold that lightly because your dominance piece is kicking in. You better be real careful about that because you're a sinner. And Hebrews, I didn't get a chance to go into it, but Hebrews talks about it. It says all these other priests, they were human. They had to actually offer sacrifices on their own behalf before they could even yeah, go in yeah. and make sacrifices on behalf. Of and the they had to do it over and over and over and over and over. It talks about how it's an annual thing. And yet when we get to Jesus, it's one sacrifice. One and done. One, one and done. So are there things that should be obedient? Absolutely. There's no question about it, but it's tied to responsibility. And by the way, circling back to, if I may very quickly, to the family, that's the tough part. I have a 21-year-old, I think. Let me think. Yes, I have a 21-year-old, Vincent. I don't pay attention to birthdays, even on myself. I don't even know how old I am. But 21-year-old, I have a 19-year-old. You're 47. Thank you. The challenge with both of them is they still live in my house, but there are areas that are not my responsibility anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because I, I know better than them, but it's not my responsibility. Now, I might not know better than them. I might know better than them, but it's still not my responsibility. And so it's this balance, but it's definitely, you know, you can use whatever you, toothpaste you want, Sister Joyce. You're, you're fine. <laughs> Whether I say you're fine or not. <laughs> All right. Give me a question that's not Regina. I'm assuming Regina is my wife, right? Goodness, I live with the woman. Question, question, question. Give me somebody else's question. Okay. This is from Leela. So you mentioned. Ah, I can't get away oh. from the two women in my oh. life. Here we go. Lila, Lila, who's on vacation? Lila, who's on vacation, Lila? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess she's being faithful to church. We can't, we can't get after her for that. All right, go ahead. What's Lila's question? You mentioned a man is not the priest of his home, but what about the head? Please explain in detail. In detail, oh, she said. Oh, <laughs> you, you all just, you're not even being nice. That's not even fair. You're That's a whole Bible study all by itself. You're just trying to blow me all up. Okay, so the first problem with headship is, again, um, it, we're always pulling from 1 Corinthians 11. Again, I'm going to speed through this, folks. Those of you who had, had discipleship classes with us and, and other classes, you know what I'm talking about here. If you're new to us, you got you to stay tuned, okay? You got to stick 1 with Corinthians us for a 11. while. It'll come back around. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about the man being the head of the wife. Problem is, his head means three different things, and the context determines which one. Number one is it means... Um, anatomical body part, my head. Number two, it means hierarchical authority, that which is above, the head of the company, the CEO or the chairman of the board, the head. And the third is source, like the head of a river. And short answer and it's is- the same word. That's right, it's the same word. Short and answer context is- context determines which it correct. means. Correct. And short answer is 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about Genesis. Everything in 1 Corinthians 11 is about Genesis, and he's talking about the man and the woman in context of source. And the woman comes from the rib of the man, and he's not talking about anatomical head, and he's not talking about hierarchical authority. He's talking about source, and it's a misinterpretation and a misunderstanding of that scripture. So it has nothing to do with it. Now, Leela knew that, so shame on you for making me have to answer that. But anyway, for those of you that haven't heard that before, stay tuned. We'll, we'll cover more of that in other contexts. Some but, other time. Yeah. Yeah. Headship has nothing to do with it, which also, by the way, very appropriately to Leela's credit, is probably one of the pieces that lends, if you misunderstand headship, 
then you can very easily make the next step over to priesthood and see it in this authoritarian or this even this egalitarian authoritarian role. But it's not biblical. Think of priesthood as barrier. Any priest you ever, in any context, there is a sense of barrier with the concept. They're, they're between you and deity. Absolutely. And you and you treat them in such a way that you're a little bit shy of them. You're a little bit scared of them. That's not that's not biblical. Our high priest has broken down. We may enter the throne of grace, the throne room and the throne really confidence and with freedom because mm -hmm. our high priest has broken down those barriers. Okay, so does the Bible say anything about what age a pastor has to be? Young, old, middle-aged? No, it does not. It does not. Um, oh, we're getting bumped into. Somebody tried to log it. What? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Technical difficulty on my side doesn't matter at all. Um, no, it does not. Uh, the, the language of priesthood does. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we, I believe it's 30. Is that right, Desi? I don't pay too much attention yes. to the priesthood. So, but I believe it's 30. They had to be 30. Correct. Um, and so, no, it does not. Um, language that is used, for example, I'll use one example. Paul uh, finds a young man, Timothy, and takes him along as a co-laborer, has him circumcised and takes him as a co-laborer. The language there, really, I would seriously doubt that Timothy was 30. By the no, language that's more there. like likely late teenager late teenager yeah. at the earliest in his early 20s because particularly when you talk about young men we have extended what young man is so the 20s is a young man that's a full-grown man in the ancient world because you got to understand typically uh unless you're wealthy and have good health care and those kinds of things in the ancient world which is very very few uh you could be dead by the time you were 40 so the idea of being 20 as a young man mm-mm no, you're younger. When you think of the, even the Jewish concept of manhood coming at 13, yes, I would be inclined to go with Brother Desi that Timothy would probably be in his mid to late teens. Yeah. So, no, I think it has to do with, I think it has to do with the capacity to, first, you're called to a role, and second, you're, you're building yourself with the capacity to fulfill that role. Be less about age and more about preparation, honestly. Okay, so who shepherds the pastor? That's a really good one. Oh, yes. This is the perennial problem. Okay, so when you have a single pastor model. That's a really model, good question. Oh, it is a really good question. Um, when you have a single pastor model, this becomes a problem. And we've tried to come up with solutions, and I, be, I am going to be much more uh, tactful and careful in my language here that we've tried to then have single pastors that, that are external, that somehow provide pastoring. But the problem is, is the distance of those relationships many times does not really provide what I think a pastor provides in the sense of oversight. So I would submit to you that the safest pastor is the one who serves his congregation or her congregation in such a way that they both take oversight and are oversighted by the structure of that congregation. 
In other words, using Paul's language of the body in submission to the body. Because there's really only one head of the body in the actual sense of authority. And Paul says that one head is Christ. Is not the pastor. <laughs> no, it's not the pastor. And see, there's where part of the problem lies, is if you set yourself so apart as a pastor, now you are at risk because you don't have the benefits of the body. But if you leave yourself as a member of the body, you have responsibilities, and matched to those responsibilities are the requisite authority. But you leave yourself tightly integrated. You're a member of that body. You now have yeah. the safety of that body. And so I would like to think that, well, I'll put it to you this way. All of you know that we have our pastoral team. There's nine members of the pastoral team. Our entire congregation is divided up among that pastoral team members. Any of us can pastor and care for you, but you are divided up among nine of us. We care for you. You've probably gotten phone calls, emails, letters, different things as we've continued to reach out to you, tried to reach out to you. Some of you are harder to get a hold of than others, but we try to reach out to you. We care for you. We watch for you. Mm -hmm. I and my family have one of the pastoral team members that is my pastor that's looking out for the welfare of my family. There we go. And and it's not about it's not about an authority thing. It's about care and concern. It's about shepherding. It's about caring for. It's about serving. Now, with that said, I do have some external peers that I have accountability to. I've been very open about them. I have three guys that I meet with once a year. In fact, that's probably the first scary thing because those guys have not been as smart as I have been about COVID-19. Yes, guys, I just said it. One of you is probably listening, you yokel. Um, and we meet normally in October, and I'm probably going to go meet with them, scared to death that one of them's sick and is going to make me sick, but because these guys matter. They're a part of my oversight, if you will, but they're peers. They also are yeah. pastors or have been pastors. They're peers, but you see, I don't need the hierarchical authority structure as much if the whole structure is not set up so hierarchical and with such authority. We leave it more the body and leave only one in that hierarchical authority position, namely the true head of the body, namely Christ. Right. We're coming to the top of the hour. If you got another one, Joyce? Yes, I do. So since your body is God's temple and we should treat our bodies with respect, are there any sacred cows you can think of that we should avoid that relate? To our bodies? Yes. Hmm. interesting i can think of lots of ways we don't treat our bodies as well as we should and i'm one That's of what them. i was thinking like i got i got a discipline tonight because my daughter i swear she's trying to make me fat i've lost 10 pounds and 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 i'm struggling she's cooking something she, good isn't she oh she keeps cooking these things with cheese and stuff and oh they're good i had one after dinner but there's four more sitting up there on the plate and i'm gonna want to go eat one not right after the broadcast, but later, I'm going to want to go eat one. And it's like, I need the not because then I'll be better off. So <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I Nothing jumps to my mind immediately in the sense of a sacred cow, an idea or a belief. I think Sister Debbie dealt a little bit with the idea of our body as our That's own. That's what I was going to say. 
the, yeah, the, the I idea see of, almost the inverse of that, where the sacred cow is, it's, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Correct. And that's not true. And we need to do better in that. And that's why I'm trying to trying to do better. But, oh, it's hard, folks. I'll just the, the, the battle's real. Do we have time for another? Let's do one more. Okay. Are we all to be shepherds to God's people? Interesting question. Okay. We should all be caring one for another. I've got scripture for that. I can take you to multiple passages of scripture. Right. Okay? Where we all are body. to care for one another. I would argue that to say that we are all to be shepherds, if we are understanding shepherds in the sense of the, of the term pastor, in the sense elder, of the term elder. Oversight. Right. I would say no. And the reason I would say that is because there does seem to be, now this is going in the opposite direction because I've really flattened things. And what I've talked about, I've flattened things. Everybody is equal before the cross, and we are. But there are responsibilities that God calls us to fulfill that he may not call another to fulfill. My hands are not what I walk on. My feet are called to do that. I do not eat food with my ear. My mouth does that. My nose does not see the world. My eyes do that. And Paul talks about that. The body is not the same. Equal does not mean the same. And so I think part of the deal is, is that what has God called you to do? What is your place? Now, I think there's a whole lot of things that have gotten pushed up to the top hierarchically that need to come down. The idea that only the pastor can do this or only the pastor can do that. See, that is that power grab and that is that hierarchy and that needs to be done away with. But if we get a truly biblical understanding of what it means to be a shepherd, what it means to be a pastor, we don't put it in terms of priesthood and we don't put it in terms of power and authority, but we put it in terms of servanthood. No, I think there's a specific role for pastors that are called and they can't do that job actually without the empowering of the spirit. And they may be an eye where another person fulfills another role within the body, that they're the ear, or another one is the hand, or another one is the foot. All are equal, all are essential and necessary, but all are not the same. And the challenge is, in the background of that, Stephen, I believe for many of us, is the struggle that we associate responsibility and authority with value. Yes, we do. That's it's a problem. A re, it's a razor's edge, and it's really, really hard to maintain Absolutely. that. And so, Absolutely. no, we're not all called to pastor. No, the Spirit doesn't lead us all in the same way. God has not given us all the same level of responsibility. But those who have that responsibility, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll step on another common. I don't know if it's a sacred cow, but it's a common colloquialism I hear, especially having gone to Bible college and then gone to seminary. So you know, I spent. Uh, seven years in college in private Christian religious education. And I often heard things like, you know, the highest calling is to be a pastor. Well, I, scripture doesn't say that. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to make my famous statement? When God called me to preach, it meant I met the mark of a rooster and a donkey. Yep. When yep. he called me and, to be his son... That's a different ballgame. And we've all been called to be sons and daughters of God. So, so we have to be careful not to associate value with role. 
and it's hear me it's really 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 hard yes. to maintain yes. that balance it, for all of us a, especially if you've been called to a place of very specific responsibility that's correct it's hard not to muddy that in your head but the person oh i'm on the pastoral team right so the person who's not on the pastoral team has no less value than i do but my role and we keep saying role because it's also not for life and that's another bible study it for is. Time. One of the biggest... what happens what happens when you reach your elder years we say elder and then ironically we don't even actually afford that title until someone's ready to um, step back from that role but once Correct. you reach the golden years of life and you're Maybe it's retirement or something else, and you're no longer actively in that role. You may no longer be the pastor. You may no longer have that authority and responsibility at the stage in life, but has your value changed? Well, it's really, really sticky if you've tied value to role. That's right. In fact, on my sabbatical, I will be experimenting in my own psyche about that because for two and a half months, as you all know, I will not have the responsibility and therefore I do not have the authority. I will not be making any of the calls. I will not be providing the oversight. I will just be Steve. Now, it's artificial in one sense, because, yes, I will return. We'll I will reassume the role on October 1st. Yeah. But for two and a half months, I don't. And so what is my value? Is If, if my value is all tied in what I do, we're going to have a little bit of problems, aren't we? And I think there's probably, I, I got to go deal with that a little bit. I got to go struggle with think that a little through bit. what that means absolutely because there will come a point in the near future near in the sense of the next decade or so that i will have to step down i will be done mm -hmm. i'm still steve i still have much to offer the world i'm still part of the body of christ but if all that i do is wrapped up in who i am ooh, that's going to be a problem but yes that's a whole nother night and a whole nother topic all right. Well, we're a few minutes past the top of the hour. For those of you who are still with us, we want to thank you once again for joining us for our Wednesday night live Bible study. Once again, be sure to check out our church website at newarkupc.info. And I'm going to make a quick plug. Click on that small group card. Click on the joining a small group, online small groups, all of those different information pieces that are available there. If you Consider yourself to be a member of Newark United Pentecostal Church, and you are not regularly attending a small group. You are missing out, especially during this time. This is the primary way that we're able to check on each other and pray with each other, the way that we're able to stay connected and in community. And so you are severely limiting the kind of care that you can receive if you're not actively a part of a small group. So if you're hearing me tonight and you consider this your home church, you need to be in one of our small groups. Having said that, we thank you for joining us. God bless you all, and we'll see you tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for our broadcast. And join us once again Friday night at 7 p.m. for Friday Night with Friends and another broadcast there.